Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Welcome, welcome, my beautiful friends. Happy Monday. Why are you laughing at me <laughs> already? It's not Monday. <laughs> People listen to this on Monday, Mead. <laughs> Do you know when our episodes drop? They drop on Mondays. I Did you know that? I thought you were greeting us with a happy Monday. <laughs> You're greeting the listeners with a happy Monday. I'm sorry. Hi, Susan Larkin. How are you? I'm so good. And I'm so happy it's not Monday. (laughs) Today. Right? But like, I was like, wait a minute. Hold up. We're, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We are so blessed to have Susan Larkin, a certified alcohol and life transformation coach. Her mission is to help professional women discover how to get their drinking under control, become free, and create a life they want to wake up to. Woo! I love that. She knows firsthand what it's like to feel stuck knowing alcohol did not work for her, but also not being able to let go. Ooh, I re- resonate with that. Yeah. Susan's career in medical education and an Ivy League medical school started in her 30s. It was then that she started drinking to cope with the stress of balancing a career, family life, and getting her MBA. As her career progressed, so did her drinking. That nightly glass of wine turned into two, three, or more. She became a gray area drinker, living an increasingly gray life. Ooh, I love this. Yes, oh, that's so good. That's so good. Ooh, gray life. That is that is a good line. That was um, me. <laughs> that was me too. She has been married for 33 years, has two adult kids, one in Manhattan and one in Maine. She's living in Connecticut, right in between. Yay. Welcome, hey. Susan. Thanks I'm for being so- here. I am so glad to be here. I love you guys' podcast. I listen to it all the time, and I love all your guests and their stories. So I'm just really honored and privileged to be here. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So I think we, something that resonates so deeply with our listeners is just when they get to hear themselves in others' stories. So I thought it'd be fun if you could kind of like give us a little, a little, recap of your story how did you how did you get here and then (laughs) we have we have some fun fun topics to to go into from there too yeah well so we met because we are christians we're in a little christian group and one of the things that came to mind to me was in my journey is how my being a christian woman some made it almost harder for me to look at my drinking, which sounds kind of weird. But so I just thought that even just talking about that and how that's really part of my story. So I became a Christian. I would, did not grow up a Christian. Okay. So I'm kind of kind of weave my Christian story in my drinking yeah. story. I didn't grow up a Christian. I became, I, I got saved through a track, which is so embarrassing. But and I went to UCLA and Christy and I have connected. She's USC, I'm UCLA, and someone gave me a track. And at that time, it just, I was a seeker. It was making sense to me. I was seeking. Wait, wait, like, wait. what's a track? Oh, it's a little booklet that people go give out and go, do you want to know Jesus? And they oh give you like a little gosh. track. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, okay. I did not know, know that was called a track. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I took it home to my apartment. 
And of course, now looking back, you can see all the little seeds that I had a friend who had been inviting me to church and da, da, da. But I just, I really had, you know, like a true conversion experience where I read this track and it just made sense to me. And I'm like, yeah, God, I want God in my life, mm. you know? So, but growing up, we didn't go to church or anything. We have this funny family story because there's, when my brother who was five and he was in kindergarten, they asked him what he wanted to give up for Lent. And he said, Jesus Christ and baths. <laughs> So that's like the extent of like my religious upbringing. You know, my brother is like Jesus Christ. So Jesus, you know, Jesus and I are like tight now. But yeah, so didn't grow up a Christian. And what I found really interesting is when I was thinking back to when it really clicked for me in my alcohol freedom journey, it almost felt like a conversion experience. Yeah. Like when mm-hmm. as an adult, or I wasn't an adult, yeah. I was 20, when I was 20 and I made a decision to follow Christ and then I needed to learn all about it. I didn't know anything, you know, so I started going to church and reading and stuff. And it was the same thing with alcohol. It's like I started to learn more about alcohol. And as it all sort of came together, that's where that mindset shift happened and where I became truly free because it was like my thoughts and beliefs just completely changed. It was like, oh, now I can see my eyes were open to alcohol and how it affected my life. And I just didn't believe that it had any value for me anymore. Similar to how I believed all of a sudden that God did have value for me, you know, that I did want to have a relationship with Jesus. So fast forward, I'm married. And in my early Christian days, I actually, so I also have a lot of problems with black and white thinking, and I'm really working on that myself even now. I just thought Christians don't drink, like, boom, Christians don't drink. So I didn't drink Mm. at all. And then I met my husband and we like went on dates and then wine kind of was introduced to our, you know, in our dating. And that was kind of cool and fun. And I was, but it was sort of reserved to only those special dinners. We didn't drink at home or, so I didn't, so like in my story, my drinking didn't really escalate until in my late thirties when after being kind of a stay-at-home mom with doing weird little side jobs here or there, church secretary was one of them, (laughs) part-time. When my son was in preschool, then I took on my a job at an Ivy League college. And then as I was working and moving my way up, first I started in a part-time job. And then as my kids got older, I moved into, you know, higher level management positions. I got my MBA. And that is kind of when things, I started using alcohol as a coping mechanism. And that's where things really changed for me. Before that, you know, I can now look back and see yeah, when I would drink like on vacation or maybe around Christmas, sometimes I would overdo it. But because it wasn't on an everyday, every week basis, it didn't appear as a problem. You know, now I can see that I kind of maybe, you know, always had sort of this sort of, I used to say it's an elbow problem. I just keep pouring, you know. (laughs) And as a Christian, I sort of, even when my husband and I would have wine and stuff when we went out, I'd always felt like I kind of had to hide that from church. Like we, in our church, we didn't have any activities that included drinking. Our pastor has, was father, I guess, was an alcoholic. And so he just was, you know, he didn't drink and like no functions at our church ever had drinking. And so drinking, if we were involved in the church and all of our activities revolve, our social life revolved around the church, there just really wasn't any kind of drinking in our social life either. So then when I started drinking it kind of as a coping mechanism, it was seemed like something I needed to hide. So mm-hmm. I was always hiding it. And as it got 
as it, it was sort of escalating right away. I could sense in the Holy Spirit, like, this isn't good. This isn't right. You shouldn't be drinking two glasses of wine at night. And then, oh, you shouldn't be. Now it was three. You shouldn't be doing that. But I didn't know what to do about it. And I just felt like I needed to hide it. I'm on the worship team. You know, I'm in church leadership. And I'd confide to a few people and they were like, I'm sure it's fine, you know. Um, and then I confided to my pastor and his wife. I remember we were at Starbucks and I was like, you know, I just, I think, they think my, I think my drinking I'm ha- is problematic. And they were like, oh, well, if you think you have a problem with your drinking, you probably do. You should go to AA. And I was just like, that was just so like, it just felt like somebody kicked me in the face. And I was just like, that was very extreme, you know? And, but I was very obedient person as far as like understanding church leadership and hierarchy. And I'm like, okay, I guess I have to do this. And I remember going to an AA meeting and like crying all the way home. It was one called Living Sober. And I thought, okay, that one sounds reasonable, you know? And um, so I went, you know, I just cried all the way home. I'm surprised I didn't stop at the liquor store, to be honest with you, but I just, and in Connecticut, you can't really buy wine. You can't buy wine in the grocery store, which is also because I grew up in California and then we moved to Connecticut. And so there was also sort of this idea of this stigma of going to the liquor store. Like, we don't mm. go to the liquor store. You know what I mean? But then so I moved to Connecticut, you know, and that was just also very weird. But unfortunately, I got over that problem. And my husband always jokes like, you know, who took your parking spot at the wine store down the street? Haha, <laughs> you know, now. But I did lose my inhibitions around going to the liquor store towards towards the end there. But, you know, going to AA was, and I'm not, I don't have anything against AA. It just didn't feel like the right thing for me. Like I kept looking, I would go and listen to people's stories and I just kept looking around like, where are the people who just drink a little too much white wine? Like these aren't my people. Those weren't my stories and I didn't really relate to them. I didn't believe I had a disease. I didn't, feel like I needed to make amends except for to myself the you know way I talked to myself like it was just it was just was a little bit overkill and I think it kind of is for gray area drinkers it, because I could stop and I could not drink and I could also sometimes go out and only have two glasses of wine and so it was always this back and forth do I really have a problem I don't think I have a problem do I really have a problem I don't think I have a problem and I just did that dance for a while so I I did AA for eight about eight months. I would drive so far to go to towns far away, and I would only go to women's meetings because all the men were creepy. And and I have to say, the women were great, and I love them. And I and I thought, you know, there was value there, and there's value in the community. And I think that those things are really mm-hmm. important: community, like mindedness, hearing people's stories, but they just weren't stories that related to me. Yeah. So at the time, I did have a sponsor. I told her I was gonna go moderate I was going on vacation and I was going to Vegas and I'm like there's no way I'm going to Vegas and not drinking like that was just my mindset like who does that yeah I can't do that so it was eight months alcohol free I was gonna have two drinks and I did I stuck to the two drinks I remember the first one tasted bad when I first drank it and then the next morning I woke up feeling like yeah I'd had something just after two glasses something super toxic like I was so aware of that but it was still like alcohol was a necessary part of life or something, but it was still like, but I still want to do this. Like, I hate that thinking when I think back, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I went back to drinking, but now I was even hiding it more. So I was hiding it before, then I was hiding that I was going to AA, and now I was double hiding. I was like hiding 
hoping I didn't see anybody from AA and hiding from all the people at the church who knew I was going to AA. And now I was hiding. I was just hiding everywhere. Oh, babe. I know. And the shame, the shame, the shame. And I remember just the thoughts of like, why can I not give this up? I know the Lord kind of wants me to, but I have to tell you this experience though, because you know, the Lord is so good. He's so kind. And his kind, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. There's a song that we used to sing on the worship team. And I always loved that song. And I love that line in the song. Fast forward, then now it's 2019. And I'm once again going, I need to do something about my, my, my drinking. And so 2019, I just explored it. But I did keep going back to, but I was trying to become a normal drinker. The whole time, I was really mm-hmm. trying to get back to this place of being a normal drinker. So I took many 30 days off, many 30 days, and I would try to go out and drink, over drink, or, you know, maybe I'd do a couple times where it was fine. We went out to dinner. I only had two. And then another time I would over drink and then I'd get mad at myself, beat myself up, put myself on another 30 days, you know, like I was going to jail, you know, and just keep trying. Like I was just going to keep trying this. And at the time we owned a music studio and I we were doing this play, we were doing Lion King Jr. But I remember at the end of that rehearsal period, I was going home and I was just like swinging by the liquor store. Like I was stressed out to the max, like I was hijacked. And that was when I had this moment where I went to the liquor store, I got my wine. And I remember I can clearly see myself, I'm turning right onto the street to go up, you know, to my house. And I remember sitting there and I thought, oh, I could feel myself going, Lord, I know I could feel the opportunity where I could turn right and go to the liquor store. I could turn left and keep going home. And I turned right and I got this wine and I know I'm going to drink it. And I could totally feel the Lord say, it's okay. Maybe next time. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? I could just, it was like, but his kindness and it just made me want to cry. And I still wouldn't drink the wine, but it was just, I don't know. Just, I just remember that God. God isn't mad at us because we're drinking. He's not mad that we have developed an over-drinking habit because alcohol is an addictive substance. He wants us to be free. He wants to give us the desires of our heart. He wants the best for us, which is why he doesn't want us to drink. But he's not like mad at us or blaming us for this behavior. Like, How is it any different than yelling at your kids or other things that we don't want to do, you know, other behaviors we want to change. Or So that was just a really sweet moment with the Lord. Now I can't say that I turned around the next day and was able to stop drinking. Like it just, but it was something that I still remember with just, just to remind me that God is so good and he's so loving, you know, and, and it helped with the shame, you know, it was really, it's the shame. So it was in I think that this, you know, back to my point where, where I started is why is it harder for Christian women or hard, maybe not harder for Christian women to explore their drinking is because of the hiding and the shame, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and that when I say gray life, it was like this little black cloud. I felt like Linus, you know, with this little black cloud or, you know, some Snoopy, you know, going around or no, it was Pigpen who had this crazy black dirt cloud around him. That's how I felt. Like there was just no color in my life. And I'd been on that period of exploring my drinking in 2019. And at that point, my drinking escalated from the first time when I took the eight months off because of the owning this music studio. I mean, I probably would have escalated anyway with just a regular job, but I was working full time. We own this music studio. I'm trying to put on the Lion King play, right? I'm teaching voice lessons after work. And what would happen is I was drinking to overfunction. And sometimes I think 
even in the church, we can overfunction. Like I remember teaching Sunday school and that was just not my jam. Like I love kids and everything, but our church was small. And it was sort of like, if you had kids, you had to teach Sunday school. And I would like go home and have wine after teaching Sunday school because it was like not my thing. And I was stressed out and I felt like I needed relief. And that was my tool for relief, you know? And so in what ways are we as women overfunctioning and using alcohol to find relief, but that keeps us in that state of overfunctioning and burnout, really. I was so burned out. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Working full time at a stressful job, teaching voice lessons, doing the books for the thing, doing the social media, which is I'm not that great at, and trying to learn all these things. Doing, oh, I remember being at work on a Friday and going, oh, I cannot wait to just go home. And then it was like, it's open mic night. Oh my gosh. And I just had this, I had to go to open mic night, right? And so then I would swing by the liquor store and get wine and like drink a little in my car because I never was outwardly an over drinker, right? Nobody saw me over drinking. Like I was using it just to like get through, you know? I mean, when you're drinking in your car before you go somewhere, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a sign. That's a sign that maybe you're hitting a low point, you know? We used to call them roadies, you know, I had a little road, like the fuck open container like what the heck am i doing now i wasn't driving i was sitting in the parking lot let's let's clarify that i was not driving but when you feel like you have to get the screw top so that you don't have to worry about having an opener and have a little dixie cup in your car so that you can have like a few shots of wine before you go in to like do the next part of your life you know and i know moms do that too and it's like homework and bath and da 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 and i was past that point with my kids but i was also using it for the same reasons did i be able to keep over functioning. So yeah, that was so then in 2000, so in 2020, 2019, I was really exploring, exploring, exploring. And then in 2020, when, when COVID hit, we were set to open Lion King Jr. Guess when? March, 2020. We had just put six months into putting this play together with all of these kids working every Sunday after, you know, working a full week, every Sunday, every weekend, we were there rehearsing every night. We were about ready to go into tech week. We had five sold out performances and COVID hit and we had to close down. And we didn't. And also, meanwhile, at my job, COVID's hitting and we have to figure out how we're going to keep the medical school curriculum going during COVID. So we're screwing around getting computers. We're teaching faculty how to use Zoom. We're trying to figure out how we're going to put the curriculum. Are we going to use old podcasts from last year's curriculum until we can figure this out? Fortunately, actually, it hit when the students were on spring break and we had like a week. We had a week to figure out how we're going to put legs to our curriculum. So both both things going. And then after that, I just said, screw it. I'm just going to, I need to drink. So I went back to just full on. And it's amazing how fast after a whole year of many 30 days, really learning some things about alcohol, but really, again, my focus was trying to get back to becoming a normal drinker. When I went back to drinking, number one, how fast I went back to drinking the same, you know, over drinking really fast, like how fast I could drink, you know, a bottle of wine. My my husband would get a bottle, we'd sit out at the end of the day, and then it was always like, we need more, you know, and he would go get more how fast I went back to that drinking, but then how crappy I felt. Now here, I had, I was able to really observe how much better I felt in 2019, all that time when I really wasn't drinking or I didn't drink very much. And then when I went back to this daily drinking at the end of the day, because 
just everything seemed like it was falling apart. It was so, you know, it, it's hard. It's it's funny how hard it is to remember like that we were like washing our mail in the garage and you know what I mean? Like wiping everything down. And I had to sometimes go to the medical school and like being freaked out and wearing five masks because I had to put out, we had to prepare and put out masks and scrubs and everything for the students to come and pick up. And, you know, so it was really stressful, but I just realized how bad I felt. And all of a sudden I felt so much more depressed and so much more anxious and, and just terrible terrible, terrible. And I knew it was alcohol. And I just got to that place where I I remember in April, I still kept trying to rein it back. I remember saying, I was just going to order this really fine wine from this like super swanky, you know, liquor store that was delivering. And I thought, oh, I'll just get super expensive wine. I won't drink that that fast. No. <laughs> I'll have, I'll have you down to the beach. Yeah, all yeah. the ways we try and trick ourselves. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And then on Mother's Day. I heard that one, though. I love that. Really? Oh, so many things, you know. Have you? I used to draw a line with a Sharpie on the bottle so that I wouldn't drink any lower than a certain amount. But then I always did. And then I would just be mad at myself because I'd look at that line and go, oh, my gosh, I did it again. I mean, just so many things. Trying to be normal, right? Measuring. Oh, good Lord. And then we had Mother's Day and we were all being on a Zoom call with my mom and I had a bottle of champagne and I drank the whole bottle myself that whole afternoon. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know. And then we needed to close the music studio. And I remember my husband was talking that previous owners were suing us because I think they were afraid because we were closing it. We weren't going to finish paying them. And I was just sitting there going, keep talking and keep pouring. Like when you're telling me this, like who sues somebody during COVID? Like it was insane, like the stress level. But then at that point, that was May. I was just like, I cannot keep going on like this. I have, something has to stop. And I remember waking up in the morning because it just became, it wasn't enjoyable. And I know a lot, you know, a lot of people, a lot of clients talk about that. Like I'm drinking, but I don't even enjoy it. Like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. It's just what I do. And that's sort of how I felt. Mm -hmm. It was just, this is how I get through life. And I remember waking up and thinking, who cares? That was a, I remember that thought. And then I just went, I care. Wait a minute, I care. This is my life and I don't want to live like this anymore. And so mm. I just, that is when I was able to, I, I started a program. I jumped into another program. I saw a webinar and the, in the webinar, they talked about becoming alive. And I was like, that, that's what I want. And that, so the focus of, I don't want to just quit drinking. The focus was really on how I wanted to feel and how I wanted yeah. my life to look. And it was alive. I just clung onto that word. And then I was able to just really get some traction and just June 1st, 2020, it's my, my alcohol free date. And I just never looked back after that. Was it easy? No. But I have to say, because I had so much experience, number one, the first eight months, and then the, all of 2019. Yeah. You, and what I love about this is like this this totally flies in the face of going back to day one. Like, no, I mm -hmm. had a ton of alcohol-free time in 2019. Mm -hmm. I had tons of experiences. And then I could I could lean on those. I could grab onto those experiences. Like I had my, bur I, well, 10 days into being alcohol, into June, on June 10th, 2020, we went on vacation. And that was a time that I would always go back to drinking. So I was like, okay, no, I can, I can do this, you know. But I did have one vacation when I was in AA that allowed me to be, that I was alcohol-free. It wasn't pleasant at all. I was like crying the whole time. Like, what? 
wait a minute, wait, we're on vacation and we're not drinking. That's, that's blowing my mind. But so I went back to, no, you did it that one time. You can do it again. And then I had my birthday in July. Nope. I had one birthday during the AA day years. And then 2019, I that would have been July had been dry July. So I was also alcohol free on my birthday in, in July then. So I was like, no, I can do it on my birthday. So mm-hmm. encourage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. But, yeah. Encourage people that, no, you don't lose any of your alcohol-free time, even if you know you were like me and you had eight months and then you went back to drinking. Because I feel like that's a really common story. People are like, oh, I had a year. Yeah. But then for some reason, I went back to drinking and then here I am again. And they're like beating themselves up. And I'm like, no, what did you learn during that time? You're going to be able to yeah. use that, you know? Yeah. So true. So, yeah. Yeah. What, keep, what keeps them stuck is thinking that they have now lost all that they've already done and yeah. just, you know quote unquote start over when really that is the valuable experiential experiential knowledge did you know i was going there christy <laughs> you knew i was going yep. there yeah. yeah i mean that's that valuable experiential knowledge that allows us to see that there is a different way and it's not just like i know my life would be better if i wasn't thinking about drinking or you know drinking yeah. whatever i knew my life would be better like that but until we can like lock that in as true with your experience mm-hmm. or for folks who are in that journey that are like, I've had this alcohol free time, but oh gosh, now here I am back drinking. And then now I have to start over. Don't let that thinking be the thing that keeps you stuck. Mm-hmm. Use that knowledge. Use that experience to go, oh, this is what's valuable. And now I can take this with me and moving into the next yeah. phase of this this journey. Sorry, I had to get I had to get in there. No, I love it. I want to have I don't want to just be the only one talking. I want to <laughs> have like conversation around this. So, yeah. So, that's it. I mean, then I just kept I was able to let go of trying to become a normal drinker because I was able to drop the shame and blame. And once I learned more about alcohol, oh, yeah, it's an addictive substance. It's not a people problem. I mean, it's a substance problem. But that's where, and I want to bring this up in this conversation, I think the church, and maybe not everywhere, I love Pastor Dave, love him so much in your on your podcast, but I think the church is still in that mindset yeah. that it's a people problem and not a substance problem. Mm-hmm. Because when I've talked to people, they just, it's 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 a cultural thing. It's just, they're like, no, no, it's fine. As long as, you know, you don't overdo it and da, 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 da. And it, you know, it's like everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial and i remember that that's what is that first corinthians 10 23 but i always used to hung, hang on to everything's permissible when i was like yeah. exploring my drinking I'm like everything's yeah. permissible but not everything's beneficial guess what there is nothing beneficial about alcohol yeah. right so yeah and okay. you know that is so interesting that i've even talked to pastors who are like Oh, it's just, uh, it drives. So I just feel like, oh, oh, awakening in the church. And I'm not saying go back to prohibition days or whatever, but I'm sure. Well, well, let me put it this way. So our our church closed. And so then I was looking for a new church and I went to an, you know, we're just sort of looking around and I went to a different church. And then I was at their, we have home groups and I was at the home group and all of a sudden somebody brings out this beer and they're like pouring it and passing it around. And I was just like, Whoa, 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 what beer during like a home group? I was just like, now, you know, years before that, I would have been like, great, can I bring my own wine? You know, but then as being an, you know, now that I've became an alcohol free non drinker, I was just so much more sensitive to also like, it didn't bother me because I was free. But what if I was somebody in 
that wasn't, you know, that was trying to abstain and, and it was difficult for me. It just felt very odd, you know. And when I first started out coaching and I was, I'm not great. You're so good at the gram, Christy, but I, it was a learning curve for me. I'm older, a little older than you guys. And it's just, it's not really my medium. I'm getting better at it, but I was just sort of experimenting with like finding my voice. And somebody messaged me and they were like, well, how do you feel about drinking at like church gatherings and this and that? And I said, well, let me put it to you this way. Would you pass around a pack of cigarettes? And she mm-hmm. like, oh, good point. So it was kind of like, what? That just doesn't seem like it belongs in church gatherings <laughs> or, you know, even in my current home group, we had a Christmas party and I wasn't able to go because I actually had a coaching call at that time, but they had a Christmas party and we were talking about what everybody's going to bring. And one of the gals was like, oh yeah, I'll bring the wine. Oh yeah, we need to have plenty of wine. Da, 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 da. And it just felt very, like, is this a gals group or is this a church home group getting together? Like I also thought also, I'd heard, and I was new to the group, so I wasn't going to say anything, but I should get a little bolder. But there's another gal in the group who I didn't outright say it, but she had talked about going to meetings and this and that. And I thought, oh, I wonder if she's in AA or something like that. And I just thought we need to be sensitive to people who may be struggling and just doesn't seem right to me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's such an interest. It's so interesting because it's so also church specific, like you know, over here in the UK, like at my church, there's wine at everything. There's wine yeah. at the church picnic. There's wine after Sunday service, wine, wine, wine. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so interesting because like you said, would, would we do, would we, would we pa- like offer a pass- pack of cigarettes? And I just think that has to do with the fact that we're culturally not there yet as yeah. in understanding, right? Like we obviously know everything. We're up to speed on all the health risks and, and everything like that, but it's still, the majority of the people don't know about that. But I think what's so interesting about this is the the shame piece of it, right? And that, like you said, that it is a a user problem. Like you should be able you should be able to have your two glasses. And if you can't, there's something wrong with you. And when I was actually pitching my book around to different Christian publishers, I'll never forget it. I gave my my synopsis, you know, it's a 40-day alcohol fast. And this this woman looked at me and said, well, who's going to hold that book in church or anywhere near their Bible study? Who who would feel comfortable holding that book? And mm. I'm like, well, that is why we need it. Like, <laughs> that's, that is why we need it, right? This isn't, this isn't a shameful topic. This is, the problem is alcohol. Alcohol is the addictive substance. And if you're struggling with it, it's because alcohol is a problem. So yeah, it's just, it's so different. And I think it colors so much of our conditioning in what we believe is beneficial in alcohol, in how it was portrayed in the church. Yeah. And so it's so layered. It's so layered. I mean, I feel like we could talk about this for like another hour, but yeah, it's, yeah. What do you think, Mead? Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that I think to me, it comes back to this like idea of the people who represent church or, I mean, it's not, I guess, I guess when I looked at this topic, I was like, I, I, I'm totally, I see this and I get it. And like, I love being able to enter into this conversation, but I don't, I don't totally think it's just that the church is the people that are representing church. It's the experiences that we're having with the people who are the representatives of church that are affecting this belief that it's like a me problem, you know? And, and so I just kind of wanted to like clarify that. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are saying the same thing, but I just wanted to kind of like point. 
point that out too. So it's not like the church as a whole, but there are plenty of people who are not where we are with the knowledge that we have that have that outdated thinking that that outdated thinking that I used to have that like when I'm like, I'm drinking more than I want to be drinking. I know it's getting in the way. I'm not, I don't have a rock bottom. I don't qualify for AA or rehab. Like, do I just sit here and wait for my rock bottom? But I can't talk about it to any, like, I almost felt like people outside of church would be more understanding than people inside of church. Yeah. And, and again, kind of coming, going back to like the people part of that is like, (laughs) you know, that's where. It's a tough thing. No, but that's why I'm so excited about Christy's book, because I'm hoping it will start Uh the conversations. And I'm not a writer. I mean, if God gives me something and (laughs) enables me to do it, great. But, you know, that's why we have all the different talents. And (laughs) so having I want to use your book, Christy, to like introduce like a women's group and go, hey, let's do this. Or do you struggle in gray area drinking and like define that too? And it'll be interesting to see how it's received, right? Yeah. But it's sort of like we're, yeah, the church taught or the church or most of the people or pastors and things talk about to be living in the world and not of the world. And yeah, but yeah, this, this mindset around alcohol is a mindset of the world, right? Mm-hmm. That it's exactly. cultural and it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. But then also, I mean, that lended itself to, Something that makes it tr- harder and, and shameful is my thought of why can't I give this up for yeah. the Lord? Yeah. Right. Or do I need to give it up again? Am I bad enough? I didn't hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Or is God going to make me give something up that I need and I really want? And why do I have to be different? Is he going to make me get, give it up? And that, so that kind of thinking, you know, and back again to my point of, you know, it's his kindness that leads to repentance is he wants to give us the desires of our hearts. But, you know, sometimes we do things that, that keep us from that. And I feel like alcohol was keeping me in, like I said, that state of burnout. Like I wasn't able to even access what I really wanted or what, you know, what, my purpose was for it here on earth and in my time i didn't have like any desires or dreams i just was like just sitting on the couch drinking my wine or just to power through keep it was more about achievements like achieve 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 drink to find relief from that but it wasn't i didn't feel like i had like my husband would be like what are your dreams i'm like i don't have any pour me some more wine (laughs) he's like what do you mean you don't have any and i just i didn't because I was just under this sort of numbness of this wet yeah. blanket. Like I think of that little song, like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's like you just pour a bunch of alcohol on it and like that's what blows it out, right? You know, mm-hmm. my my light was out completely from from using alcohol or definitely dimmed, right? If we're just yeah. dulled, you know, how are we really being a bright light, you know? And I think that's the frustration, right? Like with we see how alcohol dims our light. We see how it, it like, you know, I, something I, I ask myself a lot, like, you know, is this thing something that brings me closer to the Lord? Is this something that is bringing me closer to the mm-hmm. Lord? Or is it, is it something that is, I'm honoring or glorifying the Lord through doing, using that as like kind of a rubric? And I, if I had had that as a rubric back you know, six years ago, I would have said, oh, no, 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 no. Very clearly the way that I was using alcohol in all, you know, all those, all those different hats that alcohol wore for me, like then for sure that 
that's how I would have known that like, no, this isn't, this isn't about like following some set of rules. It's that this isn't, this isn't serving me because it's not serving my relationship with the Lord. It's not serving me and how I'm showing up for him as, you know, as one of his. And so I think for us, I get, it's the frustration of like, we see how insidious alcohol is. And when we, you know, give it these tiny openings in these spaces, it doesn't take much for it to be the thing that separates us from God. Yeah. And, and, and we don't want that for the people that we love and care about in our, in our worlds, in our churches, yeah. in our families, in our, you know, spaces. Like, and that's so whether it's church or elsewhere, it's that frustration around that. And then the outdated thinking that I think that like the world is almost caught up a little bit more on, you know, because the soberverse is more in the secular space, like the world is a little bit more caught up on this, like freedom from alcohol kind of revolution. Maybe the church as a whole is a, because of the, you know, ministries they do and kind of serving AA and they have a more traditional kind of thinking or, and so maybe that's where the updating, you know, come, yeah. comes along. Yeah. yeah. And I would love to see, yeah, I know that churches, you know, they have AA in their basements and that's where my pastor told me to go, but I think they think it's Christian, but my experience of it was, you know, a higher power of your own, whatever they yeah. say, you know, is not necessarily Jesus. That's for sure. <laughs> I don't know. That's a little bit something to to think about for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and what is in that? That's too extreme. Like, you know, then it, that keeps you stuck. If your only options are AA or just keep drinking, where is that middle ground? Like, why do we need to wait for rock bottom or, like I always talk about, you know, why are we fishing people? It's, I think it's Nelson Mandela quote, you know, why are we fishing people out of the river? Why don't we go up river and find out why they're falling in in the first place? Yeah. You know, and it would be great to, I don't know, just keep elevating this conversation in, in Christian spaces. And I have this, I have a good friend who I'm not coaching, but, you know, we talk about it and she knows, you know, I'm alcohol free and she's struggling. And she, it, she mentioned this to me and I thought, oh, this is a really good point. She's like, why doesn't the Lord just take this from me? Like, I just keep praying, like, just take this from me. And I'm like, take the desire, take this, you know, and I'm like, and just make me a normal drinker. So we're back to the normal drinker thing. And I totally yeah. would have been down for that, you know, <laughs> in my early, in my early days. But it's sort of like, well, you know, to, to me, it's like God doesn't take our struggles from us. He will walk through them with us. And I did feel like it's so weird. Even during that period in 2020, when I was drinking between March and May, when I just said, okay, no, can't do this anymore. I was having these amazing, because we weren't going to church because of COVID, amazing worship times on my own, just singing and feeling really connected to God, which was kind of strange, especially being hungover or whatever, but and I wasn't drinking every day, but so I did feel like God was still with me. You know, obviously he's directing our steps, you know what I mean? But even when you don't see it in the moment, you can always look back, you know, but what I discovered after going through my alcohol freedom journey was I remember having this moment. I was probably about seven months in where I was like, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and, and I could go back, I could choose between going back to being a normal drinker but I would lose everything I learned about myself through this journey, yeah. I would not make that choice. I fully yeah. value. I am such a different person from struggling with this and overcoming it. I am yeah. much bolder. 
I am, I have dreams. I have, it's also everything I learned about my, how to have emotional maturity and emotional safety and that I can, you know, can not control my thoughts, but that not everything I think, you know, I don't need to believe everything I think. Like I've taken that and transferred it over to other areas of my life. It completely improved yeah. my marriage. Like, yeah. I wouldn't give it up. I'm no, no way. I wouldn't go yeah. back to drinking, you know, if you paid me a million bucks. And it used to be that I wouldn't give up drinking unless you paid me a million bucks. You know? Yeah. That's how I gauged how bad my problem was. I'd go, would I give up drinking for like $100? No. $500? No. $1,000? No. Like I would do these mind things like, what is wrong with me? Why? You know what I mean? Like to gauge like how stuck I was, you know? And like how freeing is that to go like, I would not go back. Like, no yeah, way. I love that. So yeah. I feel the exact same way. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. It's like, it was a thing that you just, you really, I did. I wanted the whole thing to be fixed in the magic wand, like you said, and, and God had another plan and he had such a plan and then a yeah. purpose. And like, look at what we all get to do now and look at like the ministry that we get to have. And it's a, it's, it's incredible when you think about it. Like I get, I really do like get emotional when I look back at like what he did and how far he's brought like each one of us. But yeah, I totally agree. I would not, I wouldn't go back. I'm so glad. And and to your point earlier about like every single thing and event and every single AA meeting that you went to, like brought you to the point where you're like, okay, I've had enough now. And you were able to get to that point. Like God was so in that, like he was so in every single part of that and yeah. like refining us and, and all of that stuff. And, and, and you don't, I don't know what, maybe we just don't see it when we're in it, but he's still doing that, you know? And I just, yeah, it's all, all for the good and for the glory. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Because I knew I felt better in the eight months, but I just still had that black and white thinking of I'm good if I don't drink and I'm bad if I drink. Mm -hmm. So still the shame. I was still in that sort of shame mentality, you know? So yeah, it's such a, it's such an, like if, if alcohol is, if in the back of your mind, you just know the Holy Spirit's like, you know, how the Holy Spirit like little taps on the, on the, shoulder, never invasive, you know, but always this quiet whisper of maybe this isn't working for you. Like there is a whole so sober verse, but it is, it is more in the secular, but it is there. And I feel like that's where I live now mostly, which is really interesting. So I would love, that's why I would love to have, no, I want to have this part of my, you know, my Christian sisters, you know, universe, you know, and have, and also just to bring the, the awareness around that, around an upgrade sort of a Christian experience around alcohol. Is it something that's serving you as in your Christian ministry? You know what I mean? Whatever mm -hmm. that is. So it's, I mean, I wrote down, you know, in my notes, should alcohol even be part of a Christian's life? You know, that's pretty radical. And I know I sound like this radical, crazy, super fundamentalist Christian, and I'm so not, <laughs> I'm so not that. But I mean, I've been a Christian for a long time since I was 20. And, you know, I th think about like the scripture that, you know, the, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so how mm -hmm. if if that's the case and we're numbing and we're hung over, like, how can we hear the Holy Spirit in our life? How can we really feel vibrant and living in that flow? It's just like a flow, you know? So, um, yeah. <laughs> so much. Well, is there a tiny new action that you would leave our listeners with? It can be anything. 
Yeah. Tiny Tina. Tiny Tina. How would you? I guess I would say, I don't know. I think I would just start to be, to ask yourself to, if you're a Christian, like just to feel the kindness of the Lord. I think I keep wanting to come back to it's Mm -hmm. his kindness that leads to repentance and that he's not mad at you and don't hide from. So I was hiding then from Jesus, right? Like, first I was hiding yeah. from the church. Then I was hiding, you know, that I was drinking. Then I was hiding from, from AA. I relate to that. Drinking. Yeah. And then I was just hiding yeah. from Jesus. You know, I was hiding from God because I was just so confused. And like, don't, yeah. God knows what you're doing anyway. And, you know, just bring it to him. Let him love you to a greater awareness. Like, he, I love that. Um, and that sounds kind of woo, but. Like he does love us. No, it doesn't. No matter what, no I matter love it. what we do, our actions do not define God's love for us. You know, yeah. he mm-hmm. loves you, even if you're sitting in your car going, hey, God, I know I shouldn't have gone to the liquor store and bought this wine, and I know I'm going to drink it. He still says, okay, maybe next time. I still love you. We're yeah. Gonna this. We're going to walk through this. We're going to figure it out. He's with you. Let him be with you, you know, versus hiding from him, you know, and find somebody to share your story with. I, I think that's, yeah, I love that. I, and I think that's why it gets so confusing for, like, for me, for example, as someone who was in the church and trying to figure this out, it's like the people who represent what, you know, Christ's character, the people that you would think would represent. So people in the church, if if you've ever felt that judgment in that way, then it's hard to believe scripture when it says, you know, Romans 8, 1, therefore now there is no you know, condemnation in those who have Christ Jesus. It's, it's like, and, and this is where I wonder if sometimes the Lord allows us to walk through these things so that we can not just read something and believe it as true, but we can, you know, feel it in our yeah. bodies as yeah. true now, which yeah. is what is so different for me now. It's, yeah. I know that his kindness is is true and real because I've received it. Yeah. He's been trying to give it to me, you know, for many, many, many years. It took me yeah. a really long time to actually receive that kindness and fully believe in that, that there he is not judging. There is no condemnation. But, and I think that's where maybe sometimes that this conversation, we're a part two, Christy. Yeah. <laughs> for another day. But like, truly, that might be where some of that, you know, disconnect is it's like yeah us believing god's character from people who represent god that that can keep us stuck if they're not representing really truly god's character and so how do we how do we open to that being true for me it took like yes lord i'm asking for your help to solve this thing that i keep trying to solve but in that statement alone was the problem this thing that i keep trying to solve right it took me having to fully surrender on my knees, like, okay. And that's when finally I received his help. But it, it was a, yeah, it, it took more than just trying to piece it together myself. Yeah. And so, well, shame, so, shame, so, shame. It just mm-hmm. blocks all that. Yeah. And it, it depends on who you are too, as you become a Christian. Like, I already had shame issues. And so then mm-hmm. it's easy to read the Bible and, it's my own interpretation. I'm not blaming the Bible or even other Christians. Like I read things and just take it so black and white that I put the shame on myself. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that was just my, I also really work on how I talked about to myself 
Yeah, because I'm yeah. my biggest critic, you know, I'm my biggest taskmaster. And, you know, I, I really struggle with not being good enough. That was another reason why I drank. You know, I was never good enough. I was never good enough. Nothing ever did. So I'd achieve, 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 need relief, drink, you know. So, yeah, I'm not blaming the capital C church. No, not at all. I'm yeah, no, I know. I'm yeah. that. I'm just sort of, a, it's an observation. Yeah. You know, that when I'm having conversations with other Christians that they're, it's just like, again, it's like, you don't get it, but but they don't. And so that's where it's like, okay, let's just keep having this conversation. Just like, you know, and just and hopefully Christie's book, we can start having women's groups around it and see, you know. I don't that'd be that. so cool. I know. That'd be so cool. Why are the church we go to now in Connecticut is one church with 11 locations and their mission is so New England is the most unchurched region of the United States. Interestingly, hmm. even though that's where, you know, the pilgrims came to have religious freedom. Interesting, right? And so it's his, their, the goal of Vox Church to have it become the most area of the United States. And so just planting little churches everywhere, but it's one church with one executive lead pastor and other executive and campus churches. So I'm like, ooh, 11 locations, baby. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I love that. Yeah. Can you tell all the ladies where they can find you? Yes. So I my coaching business is Susan Larkin Coaching.com. I am drink hash at see, I'm terrible with Instagram. <laughs> at drink less with Susan. A little controversial because usually, you know, I am like a you know, drink, no, no drink, don't drink not at all with Susan, but <laughs> I think usually people come to it going, I think I just tried to drink less. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, drink less or not at all, because there is, you know, some people that feel like they like you, you know, I've heard you say on your podcast, if you can drink one glass of wine, more power to you and you want to keep it in your life after, you you know, that's fine. It's always your own choice. Um, so on Facebook, I have a community for a podcast, our podcast, which is feel lit, pod- feel lit, alcohol free podcast. So you can find a little group there to come up to connect with me and my co-host Ruby. And we talk about all the ways that being alcohol-free and things that we do to stay lit. So keep our little candle. Our, love it. Our light love lit. it. So yeah, I'd oh, love to connect. I love and even yeah. just connect with having this conversation with other Christians. I would love it. Love it. Love mm-hmm. it. So. Oh, yeah. we appreciate your voice in this space and, and your generosity and sharing like your story, because I mean, that's, that's what I think is, I think that's what helps us, right? Ultimately in the church setting and any setting is, uh, and relieving some of the the shame or the judgment that comes with this topic is the more times we can share our stories and normalize what is this journey, then the better. So thank you for helping us oh, do that. It's my season. pleasure so much. I love you guys so much. It's so good to see you Aww, and be with you. I love you too. Oh. Thank you for being here. Thanks. All right, ladies. We will I'll see, see you, you next Monday. See, look at you. I got it's, it. Finally. You stole my line. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. 
And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.